Hello everybody, it's Dimpner here and I'm here to do the Intelligent Property Investor Weekly Masterclass. So the reason I'm doing these is because I want you to be a more intelligent property investor because the more you know, the better decisions you'll make and the better results you're going to get. Now, if you're listening to me on Spotify or on iTunes, um, I will be showing a lot of charts. So I don't know whether you want to or not, but you can move across to my website, which is iloverealestate.tv, and you can view all of the, uh, the podcasts and webcasts and everything that I'm doing, um, as well as see all of my charts and all my data and all of those kind of things, as well as you can go to my YouTube channel, which is also I Love Real Estate. And again, you'll see all of those charts. So whichever way you're watching me or hearing me, uh, I hope you get a lot out of this masterclass. So what are some of the things that we're going to be covering today? Well, the first thing is we're going to have a look at what caused the shock increase in the US inflation and whether we're going to go the same way. What's trending in the Australian market? I'm always covering the Australian market, particularly the property market. I'm going to be looking at how a crap box in Camperdown busted all records at an auction. We're going to be looking at the new population figures. Uh, these are called the demographics and what they're predicting about the housing and how you can use them to actually uh, make more money out of what you do in the property market in the, in the forthcoming years. And we're also going to be looking at why we can't rely on the market to give us a pay rise. All right. Well, the market probably will give you a pay rise, but your, your job certainly won't. So let's get into the masterclass. The US inflation uh, rise this week was a bit of a surprise. I think it caught everybody a little bit, uh, a little bit out of the blue because this is what happened. And you can see here in the chart, uh, they're expecting about a 2.3% inflation rate, but it actually came in at 3%, which is a significant increase when you're talking about inflation. Now, why did that happen? Well, there was a number of things. And, and really, it was predictable in a lot of ways because what we saw was the, um, you know, the used cars and trucks have gone up. Well, surprise, surprise, everybody's out doing things, working, all the rest of it. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of money has gone into that kind of field. And other predictable things like airline tickets. You know, people are moving around more now. So airline tickets have gone up. Um, hotels, you know, lodging away from home, they call it. So hotels, motels, that's gone up. Motor vehicle insurance, used vehicles. This is what's predominantly caused the inflation effect in, uh, in the US. Because you've got to remember, they went into a really severe lockdown. And, uh, you know, we didn't. We certainly didn't. So, uh, you know, we're not going to have that backlash or the, the big surge, if you like, that's happened in the US because we didn't have the big shutdowns either. So rises in things like admission to sporting, um, sporting places and things. Well, everyone's rushing out to do something because, as I say, they've been in lockdown. Public transport, hotels, motels, used cars and airline tickets. They're the main things that have really pushed up uh, the inflation I the inflation rate, because it's been a bit of a bottleneck, basically. You know, we've had all of this, this uh, period of time where nothing, 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 and then we've had this massive surge in the US, and that's what's really causing this. Now, is that going to happen in Australia? Not really, because we, as I said, we haven't had the same kind of lockdown that the US has actually had. But something I thought was quite interesting, and this is something that I'm experiencing here in Australia as well, the cost of timber 
is going up. Now, the cost of timber in Australia particularly is going up. Why? Because we're exporting our timber to the US. Because the US has had this massive, massive property surge. So uh, that's forcing up prices here in Australia and in the US. And this was a really interesting analogy that I, I looked at. And $50,000, I'm talking US now, $50,000 US of timber previously, prior to COVID, would have made 10 and a bit houses. Now, with the cost of timber now, $50,000 worth of timber will do two and about three quarters of a house. So it's an interesting turnaround, you know, it's an interesting turnaround as to what's happened um, and they're just the cost of timber. What's that's going to do? It's going to push up the price of housing, uh, both here in Australia and we're already feeling that with our new builds, they're going up and of course in the US as well. Just for a bit of fun, I thought I'd throw this one in. Jumbo chicken wings have gone up and so too have jumbo boneless, skinless chicken breasts. <laughs> so the uh, the Yanks have got to have all of that for their burgers. So basically across the board, there has been a bit of a surge. Um, the other thing that I think is worth noting, because this does affect us as well, is the cost of shipping. Now, uh, all through COVID, we had an issue with shipping because there were ships and containers stuck on ports in places like Brazil and India and, you know, those places who really had a hard time with Singapore too, with COVID. But of course, now things are starting to open up in a lot of countries, but, um, you know, and the shipping certainly starting to regain and, and, and we've got, you know, a lot more trade going on but the cost has gone up substantially. And that's really what this shows, massive, massive surge. But, and this is only showing it into the US, but we're feeling the same thing. So uh, because containers have been in short supply and things like that, ships are you know, trying to catch up on things that didn't happen last year, the cost has gone up substantially. So what that means for us is that a lot of our imported goods are going to get a, uh, a massive surge as well. Now, while I'm talking about in, um, imported goods, and this is just a bit of a sideline, I don't actually have this in the slides, but this annoys me and Alan Jones actually had a big song and dance about it uh, you know, a couple of years ago. But there was a bill passed in Parliament. Now, to pass a bill in Parliament, you've got to have a majority of those present. This bill was passed at something like 10 to midnight. There were three politicians there. One of them, they showed the video footage, was actually asleep and snoring. And there were two others that voted this in. Now, what it said was that anyone uh, working on ships, if they come into Australian waters, they have to be paid Australian minimum wage. Now, what that means is that those, uh, all of our imports went up accordingly. Now, did it actually get passed on to the recipients who were sitting on those ships from Singapore, you know, Philippines or wherever they were from? Probably not. All it meant was that uh, it gave the shipping companies an excuse to bump up their pricing. That bumped up the cost of imports into Australia. And I think it is bloody ridiculous that uh, a law like that was actually passed. They never get off the ship. They never do any of that stuff. Um, you know, it, and it, it, it just bumps up our pricing for no reason at all. I'm dead against it. But anyway, that's what was passed. So I just want to make you aware because that's, that's what this stuff's about. It's about awareness. Because if you don't know, you don't know um, how, to, how to change it or anything else. That was called the, oh, the 
Maritime Coastal Treaty or something like that it was called, I can't remember now. But, uh, you know, that, that's the type of stuff that gets passed. The same with the bail-in laws. I know I'm getting totally off track here, but the bail-in laws were brought, into, uh, brought through Parliament on um, Valentine's Day at something like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And again, there was five politicians there and they're the ones who allowed uh, the government to actually be able to bail in um, uh, deposits over and above $250,000 if they needed it at any point in time. Now, I don't think that's a big risk. I know a lot of people get quite scared about it. I don't think it's a massive risk at all, but it should never have been there in the first place, in my opinion. Anyway, let's get back to the Australian economy. What's going on here? Well, there were some forecasts that have come out by ANZ during the week, the ANZ economists, and what they're predicting, and really this is this is a fait accompli as to everybody's going to predict it, because this is what the government is targeting, uh, that unemployment rate by uh, 2022, so the end of 2022, will be down at 4.4%. And all of their forecasts and everything else are showing that. I'll see if I can put this on big screen for you. Oh, it's a bit hard to see on big screen. Might leave it like this. So what you, what this chart actually shows is um, this dotted line here. So that's that's the unemployment rate that's come down as a part of COVID. This is the dotted line as to where they expect it to go um, through to the end of 2022. But I don't know whether you can see it or not, but the, the next bluey coloured line here is GFC. So that's how long it took for GFC to actually come back to something sensible. It didn't even come down to where it was uh, pre-GFC or global financial crisis. Now, obviously, that's back 2008 through 2010, 11, 12. Um, the grey coloured line coming through here, that look how long that took. It took about 100, um, 100 months for uh, the recession in the early 1980s to come back to unemployment rates of where they were before. And then the, the goldie coloured one, which I know is really hard for you to see, but it took 132 months uh, for that recession in the early 90s. I don't know if you remember Paul Keating's very famous statement where he said, that's the recession that we all have to have. Well, it took a long time to recover from that one, especially when you compare it to what happened with COVID. I mean, it really was a blip in the ocean. I'm not playing down, you know, the um, the health risks and all of those kind of things. What I'm saying is economically we've recovered really well. Um, and that's not saying we couldn't have a second wave or a third wave or whatever else it might be. But what it means right now is consumer confidence is up. And whenever you have consumer confidence up, um, people start spending. When you people start spending, what we have is um, we have confidence back in the business sector. And that business confidence is going to be very, very important when we start, uh, you know, employing jobs and putting capital into uh, in new machinery and industry and things like that. So this is all good news for Australia. And it really shows, you know, we're well and truly back into the into um, a great positive spin. We started to come back with the, the previous budget. This budget has really pushed us up there again. Now, I want to talk to some about something in the property market that annoys me immensely. And that is, Victoria, I am so, so sorry for you right now. Anyone living in Victoria right now, you've just, you know, you, you went through massive lockdowns last year. Your, uh, your whole industries and everything have been hammered. A lot of people lost their jobs. The hospitality industry is hammered. The city centre's been hammered. And now your stupid, stupid state government has hammered you again. And this is going to be hard to recover from because during the week, the state 
uh, the Victorian state government came out with their new announcements. Just have a look at this, Victoria. And as I say, I'm really sorry for you. I mean, I've, you know, you've already had the highest land tax and stamp duty rates in the country and your government has taken it upon themselves to increase them even more. So a 19% increase in land tax on properties valued between 1.8 and 3 million with a rate increase of one, from 1.3 to 1.55. A 13% increase in land tax on properties valued be over more than 3 million uh, with the rate increasing from 2.25 to 2.55. An 18.2% increase in stamp duty on properties valued above 2 million, uh, with uh, the value up to 2 million to be taxed at the current rate. Now, get this, a new windfall gained tax which would apply from the 1st of July 2022 with 50% of the value of the uplift as a result of rezoning. This is going to add enormous, enormous amount of, of undue pressure to the uh, any kind of development in, in uh, Victoria. Now, you're already undersupplied. You're oversupplied in units, but you are undersupplied in, um, in housing. And this is going to be horrible. And this is what I think of the Victorian government like right now. It looks like a bloody shark. So the Victorian government's attack, and that's what it is, on property owners with stamp duty and land tax increases with hurt uh, increases will hurt self-funded retirees and worsen the housing affordability. Victorian mum and dad investors will be hit with double digit percentage increases in land tax and stamp duty and a new tax on property investment and development. Continuing on. Current investors probably won't leave Victoria because the capital gains tax will be too expensive. So they can't afford to leave. They're just going to have to bear all this extra cost. But it is likely to turn new investors away from buying in Victoria, myself being one of them. The end result will mean higher rents and better returns for those who stay in the market. But their entry cost and holding cost will be a lot higher. I thought the Victorian government wanted to save jobs in Victoria, yet these changes will do the reverse. The property industry is the biggest employer in Australia. It employs more people than the mining and the manufacturing industries combined. The property industry employs about 25% of, of Victorians and relies on development, construction and new house projects to maintain that level of employment. This is an absolute slap in the face and it will have a massive impact on Victoria as a whole. But the economy of Victoria, the unemployment rate in Victoria, this is one thing that could actually derail the federal government's um, uh, wanting to bring unemployment rates down to 4.4 uh, to or, or below 5% below is what they're aiming for um, into next year. This is the kind of state crap that can really derail it. So look, I feel really bad for Victorians because they really did get hammered last year and now their state government is even hammering them further. Um, businesses could even leave Victoria for other states. And if you get big business, national businesses, leaving Victoria for another state, they're not going to come back. They're not going to come back. And that's going to add an, an, another you know, log on the fire to, for Victoria because they'll, they'll lose more jobs. 
And, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. Victoria's proposed windfall gain will kill development and cut new housing supply by adding up to $25,000 per housing lot. And even in areas such as regional areas and things like that where affordability is, is a, you know, it's most needed. Victoria's massive land tax will reduce business investment and drive major corporate tenants to consider leaving the state, according to uh, David Harrison, who runs the uh, country's largest commercial property owner, uh, Charter Hall. Land tax will rise an estimated of, uh, will raise sorry um, an estimated three hundred and eighty million extra uh, extra dollars each year. But at what cost? Because when you start, you're sure it'll, it might rise that, but then what happens if they lose major employers? What happens if the construction industry goes into a, into a, a, you know, a, a downward spiral? What happens then? You know, that's going to that's gonna cut a lot into this and it will be a futile tax. It's, uh, it's, it's the wrong move. It's, it's going to hurt a lot of people and I'm dead against it. You form your own opinion, but that's why I do these podcasts and I do these these um, you know these these masterclasses so that you can you can make up your own mind. I'm just bringing it to your attention and telling you what the impact's going to be. Let's have a look at some demographics because there's some very interesting demographics that have come out during the week as well, and what how they affect housing in particular. Um, Okay, first of all, more over fifty, over sixty-five. So we've been talking about the baby boomers and how they're, excuse me, moving through the age groups. Well, there are more over sixty-fives than ever before. In the next ten years, we could have more people aged over sixty-five than we have under eighteen, and that's the first time that that's ever happened in history. This, of course, is dependent on migrants and uh, how much we intake because that, you know, when we have a, an immigration policy coming in, they won't normally bring them in under 18 very much. Um, but when we open up the borders, we're going to have a flood of, of migrants into the country. Australia's going to need their tax dollars um, to get out of debt and to pay for COVID. But the increased numbers of baby boomers turning 65 plus is another reason Australia must import overseas migrants. So, you know, I would predict that that's going to happen next year. It may happen towards the end of this year, depending on a few things, uh, but certainly into next year. So uh, what we're going to have right now is when we look at the supply and demand in the, in the Australian economy, we ended COVID in massive undersupply and over-demand. So that has, we're taking up all of that pent-up demand, which has really been accumulating since the, uh, the end of 2017, where APRA got themselves involved in the lending system and cut lending. Uh, and as soon as you cut lending in an economy, the whole economy goes backwards. We were like a body bleeding to death, really. We had a brief reprieve for six months in 2019. Uh, but now, of course, you know, we had COVID. We're starting to recover now because a lot of the policies that were put in place have all been lifted because the APRA realised they've gone way too hard, way too far. But what this also means is that at, when we take up all of that extra demand, and there's obviously, you know, upward pressure on house prices because we're now able to, to uh, you know, borrow money and get into the market and a lot of people want to, um, there'll be a bit of a lull until we open the borders. But as soon as we open those borders again, there's going to be a massive second surge. 
and that massive second surge is is what's going to carry a lot of the um, the uplift in house pricing right through to the mid mid twenties. How do we compare on an international basis when we start looking at demographics? Well, this this here shows you the proportion of uh, people aged over sixty five compared to other countries. Papua New Guinea, one of the lowest, they die before they're 65. Then there's the Philippines, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, China, Singapore, New Zealand, United States and Australia are all pretty much on a par. And then you start to have the long livers like Japan down here. When you look at the distribution of um, females to males, again, we're pretty even until we get into the upper ages where the girls take over because we live longer. Uh, not a big impact on housing over the gender thing. I just thought I'd show you that for a bit of interest. So let's have a look at the um, the statistics now. And as at July, as June, sorry, 30 June last year, there were 7.6 million migrants living in Australia. 29.8% of Australia's population were born overseas. 39% of the population in Sydney's urban area were born overseas. This makes uh, Sydney one of the world's most cosmopolitan cities or communities. And Melbourne isn't too far behind either at 36%. Now, when you compare the other major capital cities, such as New York sits at 29%, um, Paris sits at 22%, Berlin at 13%, Tokyo at 2%, and not surprisingly, Shanghai at 1%. And these these figures are, came out throughout the um, throughout the week, um, and you know despite our aging population, there's a currently more Australians born after 1980 than ever than than before it. So you know the newies are coming on basically. This means that the Gen Ys now Gen Ys are people born between um, 1980 through to 1984. The Gen Zs which are those born between 1985 and 2009, and the Z Z Gen Alphas, who were born after 2010, they're not very old at the moment, um, comprise more than half of the Australian population. So we've got a big bubble at the bottom coming up, which is a good thing. The Gen Ys and the Gen Zs comprise the majority of the workforce now. So again, the younger people are taking over, outnumbering the Gen Xs and the baby boomers for the first time in history. And that's pretty predictable because the younger generation coming in, the older generation are retiring. So this, this little graph here, I'll put in the big screen for you, really shows you how... Um, you know, that plays out across the generations and, um, you know, the percentages in, in each quartile or quartile of your life, et cetera, et cetera. This is an interesting one, probably shows it a bit better in, in uh, big figures, but, um, you know, the, the, this is the how much income and wealth distribution. So you're looking at, um, you know, the wealth distribution there uh, at the lower end obviously is much, much smaller than at the at the, the middle end, really, the boomers. The boomers have got most of the wealth, 24% for the younger boomers, uh, which is 45 to 54, and the older boomers, 55 to 64, 29%. And then the older ones, I didn't actually even know this, that the older than the boomers were called the builders, apparently. So the builders, 27%, um, and then you've got the, the younger generation making up 7% and 13 percent. So 
when we have a look at wealth data and what it actually means, something that is, is coming to the fore, this came out in a report this week about how uneven the wealth distribution actually is. So the average household income is $116,000 per annum. That's, that's what the data shows. The top 20% households earn more than twice the average. So the top 20% of households average at $280,000. That's how much their, their income is, that or higher. The bottom 20% of households income averages out at 24%. That's disturbing. 24% is, you know, for, the, for one fifth of our population earning an average of 24% is uh, $24,000 is is not good. I mean, you know, there, there's something's got to be done about that. I don't, you know, if you work hard, you you earn money. I've got nothing, nothing, no problems about that at all. But $24,000 at the bottom end is way too low. Um, this means that while the top 20% of households take home uh, just 4% of the total income, the bottom 24 take on home just 4% of the total income, the top 20, 20% uh, get almost half, 48% of the income. And the wealthiest Australians, the 20% the at the top, um, own 80 times more than the lowest 20% of Australians. So we're starting to see this big um, divergence between those who have and those who have not. And this is, this is not a, a, an uncommon phenomenon. This happens all the time. Every time we have a downturn in the economy, those who are able to invest in property and, and shares, I've got to say, but particularly property, do the best. They are the ones who uh, accelerate more. So the, they get richer and the poor get poorer because they, you know, everything goes up, prices go up and um, it becomes more unattainable for them and wages are not going up. You see crazy things like this, where a neglected Camperdown house, house sells for $1.62 million, which is slightly absurd considering, look at the hole in the ceiling and the floor. It's a knockdown. It's not, a, it's not anything. They paid $1.62 for the land, basically. Now, this is playing out in the, uh, in the markets as well. And you can see here, if you, you take a point in time last April, which was when COVID really kind of started to hit, you can see what happened to pricing across all the capital cities. The one that got hit the most was obviously Melbourne, but it's already back up to where it was or slightly higher than where it was pre-COVID. Um, Brisbane barely missed a beat. Adelaide didn't miss a beat at all. Um, Perth's done very well. You know, the latter half here since December has started to really start to climb. Um, Sydney's a bit the same kind of time frame. They're well and truly on the on the upward run, and they'll take over the rest. Sydney, what happens in Sydney? They'll really take over. And then, of course, the black line there is the um, is the national average. So that's what I've been saying. You know, this is what I said last year. That's what I've been saying all through COVID. Is what I've been saying right now, and now it's all playing out in front of us. So, uh, you know, the sooner you get into the property market, the better. And that's why I've actually uh, put together some um, hour-long uh, consultations for you. So they're the breakthrough sessions, I'm calling them. Um, I've got a few advisors who have got some allocated time to have an hour-long session with you. But you've got to book in because the places are limited. 
So the, uh, what, what the purpose of it is, is to hear your position. Um, we want to know what your goals are. And then we'll talk to you about how we can help you achieve those goals. Now, they're called breakthrough sessions because you'll get a lot of value out of having one of those sessions um, and having the opportunity to join us in I Love Real Estate and everything that it means to be able to move ahead. Now, we don't sell properties, but we'll certainly help you achieve significant wealth in the property market. That's what we do. So when we look at clearance rates, now clearance rates are when a property is listed for auction and then sells within 14 days. Now we've had significant rises basically in, in auctions um, and that's it's going to bob around a bit, but basically the auction clearance rates are very, very good. I think it was something that's pretty important at the moment and you know you can have a look at these auction clearance rates. This is what they were last year. Sydney was at, at this time last year, 66.9% of houses sold at auction. This year in, uh, in May, we're looking at 81.6%. Melbourne last year, 57.3% sold at auction. This year, 77.6%. Uh, now, it's a bit of a different year because obviously last May, it was in the middle of COVID, all of those things. So the figures are definitely down. But even if you just have a look over there at the clearance rates, they're all up. You know, the lowest one's Perth at 60%, but all the rest are up in the 70s or the 80s. So it's very, very good. Um, first home buyers are back with a vengeance and uh, those are, a lot of them are being helped out by mum and dad. This I don't know how they got these figures, but they show here how... Um, how the, uh, the, a lot of the younger people getting into their properties have been helped out by their parents um, using equity in their homes to get their kids into housing. Now, I think there's a little bit of a better way to do that, I might add, um, by doing joint ventures with them and those sort of things because it teaches them to do a deal rather than just buy a house. So there's a bit of learning there that needs to go on both for parent and for child, I feel. Um, but that's the average contribution of how much they're actually putting in. And at the moment, it's running in around about $90,000 they're contributing to, to kids for a deposit. This is an interesting, um, an interesting chart because what it shows is a prediction out to 2026 of what percentage of households are owned outright. Now, if you look at the owned outright, it is um, owned and fully paid up is the black line. So we're sitting, where are we now? We're about here at the moment. Um, so most of the, the population that own a home do have a mortgage on it. And that's expected to decline. Now, that's probably as a result of the ageing population and the fact that that the, um, you know, the, the, the older ones are dying off basically um, and going into the next generation. Those that are renting though, this is the important one, show there how, how there's going to be a big surge in renters. The owner occupier who has a mortgage is kind of bobbing around there, but those who are renting, you can see are, um, is going to increase and that's due to affordability. So something I want to say here, and this is to everybody, if you can't afford to invest um, where you live, then rent best. Rent where you live or where you need to live for work or whatever else, but get into the property market where you can afford. Because the market, you can't outsave this at the moment. You need to be getting into the market. You need to be getting your kids into the market. You need to be joint venturing with them, but not just a property. 
don't be caught up in a lot of this stuff that's going around at the moment, like, you know, rental guarantees on off-the-plan apartments. Oh, my God, that is my biggest bugbear. The worst thing you can possibly do because you're paying over the top in price so that if it doesn't rent, well, they can pay it out of the premium. $40,000, $80,000 overpriced. Do you think they can afford to give you a rent guarantee? Yes, but you're paying for it. So don't be caught up in any of that kind of rubbish that's going around the country at the moment. Um, when we look at, at, uh, at renting and owning and things like that, it's interesting to have a look at other countries. So the purpley colour here is the percentage that own their own home and the tealy colour is how, many, how much of the population actually rent. Switzerland um, is the biggest renter. 68% of the population in Switzerland actually rent, only 31% own. In Germany, it's high as well, 64% rent. France is up at 47, UK is at 44, Canada is at 42, Japan is at 39, United States is at 37. Now, I'll just stop there, because even though it's not in the chart, Australia is at 32. So we sit in here between the United States and Italy, that's down at uh, 24%. So 71% of Italy own their own home. In China, 14% rent and 83% uh, own their own home. In Russia, this surprised the hell out of me, 11% rent and 87% own their own home. So look, you know, I say all these things, the demographics, and they're important, but I think you also need to keep in mind when I start talking about house prices increasing, we are still the most affordable we have been in four decades. It was early 1980s when we have been this, um, this affordable. And the reason for that is the fact of, you know, interest rates being so low, so our cost of mortgage is so low, our wages where they're at now, and the house prices. So it's kind of this three-way uh, equation as to whether something is affordable or not. Back in the 80s, you know, when I left university, I got good grades, I got top grades. I went into Coopers and Lybrand, one of the big chartered accounting firms at the time. My salary was uh, was $15,000 and that was a great salary back then. 15 grand I was paid. Um, now, of course, you know, when I first bought my first property, uh, my first property, I couldn't afford one in Sydney where I was living at the time. I bought one in Brisbane for $54,000. So you can see the kind of the proportion, but at the same time, I was paying 17.5% interest. So that's the kind of di dynamics that we had back then. And they've chopped and changed up and down or whatever. But this chart really shows you that we have not been this affordable as we have in the last four decades. It was early 80s when we were this affordable last time. So I, I, you really need to take that into account. You also need to take into account that um, we are the wealthiest we've ever been. This chart shows proportionate to our you know, size, per capita, etc. This is the wealthiest we have ever been. And that last surge that you see there is the savings that went on through, um, through COVID, that, that surge there, and also the, um, the, uh, the paying down of debt because that money was not just saved because they weren't buying, you know, I don't know, handbags and coffees and whatever, cars or whatever else. I don't know what you're buying. Um, but uh, the money was actually going into paying down debt. Now, a bit of a truth bomb for the week. The truth bomb for the week is that we are going to have zero wage growth for a considerable amount of time. In the last budget that happened a week or so ago, this was a chart that was hidden in amongst the pages and pages of, of the budget, you know, this thick. Now, I pull this chart out because I want to show you something. 
this part of it here, so ignore the rest of it, this part here shows that the prediction of CPI, so this is our inflation rate, this is what they're predicting inflation to be um, over the coming years. This next line is what they're predicting the wage increase to be. So this is the wage price index and what they're expected to be. If you take the wage index away from the CPI index, so we're talking in real terms now, in 2021 financial year, it's actually a negative 2.25% um, uh, wage decline. So a 2.25% decline in wages in real terms. Next year, financial year 2022, a decline in real wage buying power of 0.25%. 2023 zero, 2024 zero, and it isn't until 2025 financial year that the uh, that you'll actually get some wage growth of 0.25 in real dollar terms, according to the predictions in the last budget. Interesting, huh? So don't forget the 60-minute uh, real estate breakthrough sessions that you can have with one of my advisors. They are free. Uh, all you've got to go to is iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. There are limited spaces and make sure if you take up one of those spaces, take up one of those free one-hour consultations, make sure that you turn up, you write it in your diary because you're taking away a space from someone else if you take it up and then you don't turn up. And I've you know, I've got my advisors standing by to be able to help you. Um, so treat it with respect. Make sure you turn up on time. So it's I love real estate forward, uh, I love real estate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. And you can have a free 60 minute breakthrough session with one of my advisors. So that's it for me this week. That is my property, intelligent property investor masterclass of the week. I hope you are more intelligent as a result of the, uh, of the masterclass today and you enjoyed it. And I will be back again next week to give you another masterclass, intelligent masterclass on what's happening in the week. See you then, guys. Bye now.